Welcome to Recovery Mic Drop, where we're dropping the mic on addiction and recovery. We are two women who have been through the highs and lows of addiction and came out on the other side with a wealth of experience, strength, and hope. We are here to share our stories along with those of other amazing people in recovery and offer a fresh perspective on what it means to live a sober life. So grab a seat, turn up the volume, and get ready for some raw, unfiltered, and inspiring conversation. Trigger warning, we will be discussing uncomfortable topics and using strong language without hesitation. Hello, I'm Heather, and today's show is a little different today. I have a special guest. She's coming to share some experience, strength, and hope. Her name is Brandy, and we met the beginning of our recovery journey a few years ago, and she's become a really good friend of mine, and I'm really happy to have her on the show. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Heather. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are today? Well, I'm Brandy, like you just said. I have, I'm 36 years old and I have two sons. One of them lives with his dad in Parkersburg and the other one just moved here with me after I didn't see him for about two and a half years. I work in recovery as a peer recovery support specialist here in Charleston and I just bought a house. That's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I never would have ever thought ever in my whole life that that was something that was even an option for me. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. The blessings of recovery. Absolutely. Sure. So would you tell us a little bit about what your life was like before recovery? Hmm. Ooh. You know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about that. And now that it's been a little bit, it's almost like it gets harder to remember. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes we have to we have to remember those things. So whenever I try to think back on how hard everything was, all I can really think about is how much I depended on other people to know how I felt about myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be just an individual. I was so dependent on somebody else's opinion of me, somebody telling me how to feel about myself, you know, however they treated me is how I felt about myself, you know, and then also just the fact of having to learn how to kind of hustle. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I began to like, realize that I could use my, you know, being a female. Yeah. um, To get by. That's kind of that's the biggest things I remember is just having to kind of hustle by using my body and being so dependent on other people to know how I felt about myself, really, because I loving myself, I thought I did until I learned how to start loving myself. And then I realized how much I didn't. Yeah, it's amazing that process. It's like for me too. like in the beginning, my ego told me one thing, which was a lie, you know, absolutely. And yeah, like you're the shit, you're not afraid of anything. And it was all masking my true fear and the hate I had for myself, you know, absolutely, man. I remember like thinking, I can get whatever I want. All the guys want me. And, you know, I when I look back, once I started getting sober and, like, started loving myself some, getting some recovery in me, I realized ain't nobody, ain't nobody, not anybody that had any kind of, like, not a healthy adult, no healthy adult wanted to be around me or have any kind of relationship well, with me. It, it's just, you know, <laughs> you didn't value yourself. Absolutely. Neither I, did I. So mm-hmm. I was around scum just like me (laughs) it's almost like you know that you had I had to kind of if I ever did value myself I had to let that go to get by if that makes sense no it does absolutely what made you realize that you needed help how did you find the courage and willingness to seek help well you know before I went uh, to treatment I um, knew that I needed help for a while before I actually did it and I think that for me 
It was a matter of I couldn't break away from that day-to-day hustle of trying to get what I needed to get by. So I just never tried to get. And thank God, when I, the last time I went to jail, uh, they came to they they wouldn't bond the bail bondsman wouldn't bail me out unless I got some kind of treatment and mm-hmm. you know I thank God for that every day because I was so miserable man I was so miserable I only had people around me that didn't give a single fuck about me and the people that did care about me or that I loved or cared about they didn't want to be around me they didn't know how to handle me they didn't know how to help me so they didn't want anything to do with me and so being completely alone. And only having people that were shady and not trustworthy and only using me. Those are the things, not to mention the fact that I couldn't be a mother to my kids. You know, I mean, as any mother with an addiction knows, I think that's not what can get you. My kids couldn't get me sober. Me being miserable without the people I love in my life is ultimately, I think, what really made me want to get sober. Yeah. I remember myself just, I kept doing the same stuff, but I would be just, I hated myself and I'd be crying because I'd miss my kid, mm-hmm. but I couldn't stop. You know, that that pain and that love isn't enough. No, it's not. And, you know, I remember even being around my oldest son, you know, desperately crying and um, being miserable without my oldest son on Mother's Day and his dad's girlfriend came and picked me up so I could come spend some time with him for the day. And he knew I was high. He said, Mom, you're talking awful fast. And this is like an eight-year-old kid. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I would. Uh, I was stuck in that self-pity when yeah. it come to my kids. So Yeah. What are some of the challenges or obstacles you faced in early recovery? And how did you overcome them? I think for me, the biggest obstacles, I can tell you this. Whenever I first got to treatment and first got to any kind of program, I was so willing because I was so miserable. I mean, literally, my hands were up and I was like, if you tell me to take a shit in the street and eat it off the street and that's what's going to keep me sober, I mean, I think I'd have probably done it. Uh, but Thank God it never came to that. Absolutely. But, you know, I think probably feeling like I was alone and that I didn't know if my family wanted me to call. I didn't know when, you know, if when I would ever see my youngest son again, because it had already been so long. So I think that was probably the and, you know, we would have meetings where our family could come and my family would never come and see me. And those were probably the hardest things for me in my earliest recovery. Yeah, I remember talking to my mom and I was like, you know, I wasn't calling my son very much while I was in treatment. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mom, it just hurts me so bad. And she's like, he needs to hear from you. Absolutely. I remember my oldest son's dad saying, if you could just call to make him feel like you want to hear his voice or like you think about him, that's what he needs. Because I was the same way. Like it hurt me to kind of try to have a conversation with my son who knew that I was in treatment for drugs and I couldn't be there for him. And I felt like he may have thought that I chose that over him, which wasn't the case. But it's still like I know for me, I was still in that self-centered mind frame mm-hmm. in the beginning. So I didn't want to call him because it hurt me. I needed to get the hell out of myself and do it for him. Absolutely. And then, you know, for me too, you know, to be honest, I was so stuck in that, some of that mindset that a lot of times when I was able to make phone calls, I was calling my ex that was super toxic for me who didn't want to hear from me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Instead of spending that time Mm -hmm. or spending that change to call my son instead. So 
Well, that mental obsession carries over into other things. It sure does. It definitely does. Toxic relationships are to me, or for me, was the same as being addicted to drugs. It often is. Mm -hmm. I believe it was just the same for me, honestly. Yeah. Have you ever had to deal with stigma and discrimination as a person in recovery? Sure. Especially being a mother, I think a lot of people that don't struggle with addiction issues, they don't understand. You know, for one... People assume that we're choosing drugs over our children. And for two, when you have to go to a year-long treatment, they assume that you just don't care. And it's like, really, for me, that was the biggest stuff was just my family being like, how can you do this? How can you leave your son, you know, not see your kids for this long? But, you know, I had to do these things for my kids, and it's the best thing that I ever did for my kid was go to that long treatment because I needed a year. I needed a year of that treatment. Uh, full-on accountability thrown in my face, figuring out that I was my problem. That was so necessary for me. And a lot of people do go to, you know, a a seven-day detox and maybe, you know, 28-day program or a sober living facility. But I... I just don't think that would have worked for me. I don't think I would be where I'm at today if it hadn't been for the treatment that I got. Yeah. I know it's the same for me. I couldn't have done it any other way, I don't think. Right. And, you know... You know, that's God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Yeah. I wasn't grateful when I was in it. (laughs) But today I can look back. It's kind of funny because, you know, I remember even the first week of being there being super grateful. Like I, even the first few days, I felt like I was so much better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's how desperate I was when I got there. Like I didn't have to worry about where I was sleeping. I didn't have to try to sleep with anybody Mm -hmm. for me to have a place to sleep or to get hot or to get a cigarette or any of those things that I was using my body for to, in order to like get by and survive. I didn't have to do that anymore. You know, not to mention the women I had around me that even though I kind of thought it was all fake and all bullshit. Then everybody, all these women that I didn't know tell me, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm like, okay. But I liked hearing it. Like you're telling me good stuff. Because like I said before, I depended on other people telling me how to feel about myself. And now I'm getting nothing but good shit from people. And, you know, that lifted me up a lot. It it really is. I know for me, you know, no one ever was happy to see me. (laughs) No one ever wanted me around. They were always like, oh, my God, don't let her out of your sight. She'll rob you. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing about that is, like, I never stole from my family. Yeah. But, like, I would get accused of it all the time. And, you know, I couldn't even be upset about it because I got it. I understood it. Like, I'd be in a house full of addicts, using addicts, and I didn't trust a single one of them. And I didn't expect a single one of them to trust me because that's how we do. Yeah, that's the (laughs) lifestyle. And um, what are some tools or strategies you've used to maintain your recovery? Uh, well, I can tell you that if it hadn't been for the fellowship and the 12-step program that I work, you know, I definitely don't think that I would be anywhere near where I'm at today. I think the biggest thing for me is staying connected to women in recovery specifically. Yeah. That's my biggest tool is just being able to stay connected and calling the women that I know will hold me accountable for my own attitudes and behaviors. Reaching out is a big one. It really is. I remember going through uh, the treatment center together. There was We always held each other accountable. Mm-hmm. And, man, it would get on my nerves sometimes. You like, still do. I know. You still <laughs> get on my nerves sometimes. <laughs> but it's that it's love. It's 
It's telling someone you care about a behavior that they're, you know, exhibiting that is negative, that is harming them or others. You know, and that's hard to do. If I don't care about you, go be a dumbass. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if I care about you and it burns a little, it stings a little when you first hear it and no one wants to hear about themselves, especially when it's negative. But every time growth comes out of it. Absolutely. I mean, shit, you just held me accountable recently and man, it hit me in the gut, but I expected it before you even, I mean, I think I was like, I'll take a look at this, this, and this, yeah, and this, because I already knew you're like, okay, yeah. you are holding me accountable just by the way you're like, you know, I've got my own life and all that stuff. And I was like, man, you're right. You know, because those are the things, man, because I, before I didn't care about your time. I didn't care what you had going on. It was all about me. And, you know, today I still get into that sometime. I forget to be considerate of other people because I am my whole world, you know? Right. And it's easy for me to get into that too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which is why I can take something and make it all about me. But it's okay because we have that relationship. We can talk it out. We can tell each other how we're feeling and we can move on. And it's not, you know, that's growth. That's the types of friendships I never had before. And that's why those connections that I was talking about, it's so important to me because, you know, I can go out here and make friends with just about anybody. Mm -hmm. But like for you, like with you, for instance, you're one of the most important people in my life in my recovery circle because I know for a fact you're going to tell me just like it is you're going to tell me all about myself that's why whenever I'm all up in my head and stuff you're the person I'll call crying because I know that you'll be there for me but then if I need set straight you'll set me straight that's what we do (laughs) how has your life changed for the better oh my I know that's a long list so just go ahead and give it to us well For one, I think the biggest change is that I don't need your praises. I don't need your criticism. I don't need you to tell me what you think of me to know how I should feel about myself. I have self-worth today. It's like the people who are in my life close to me, I want you in my life. I don't need anybody. And, you know, financially, and of course, we all need people in our lives, but like, I don't need you to tell me how you feel about me in order for me to know how to feel about myself, because I love myself and I have purpose and I'm human and I mess up, but I try my best every day and, and, and I'm proud of that. I'm very proud of that. But I think another thing, of course, would be, um, I don't feel like I have to lie to myself today. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I still do, but I catch on pretty quick usually. Uh, But uh, as far as like physical things, though, man, like like I said, I hadn't seen my son in over two, two and a half years when I finally seen him again. And then not even a year ago, his dad got in trouble in Mississippi and I got full custody of him. I never, ever thought that that was anything like that was ever. I didn't even try because I was like, okay, well, who the hell am I to come in and try to, like, get custody of this kid that I haven't even been a part of his life for so long? Uh, But God said, you know what? Here you go. It's it's your turn now. And he gave me that little boy back. Uh, I have the relationship with my oldest son. It's, I mean, there's nothing comparable. He is, he's a punk He's 14 and he's gotten that's a fun age. <laughs> he's gotten in some trouble already himself, but uh the relationship that we have today, you know, I can I can definitely say that I feel like he can be completely honest with me and he doesn't worry about me judging him or like being mad at him and that's super important to me. I've let him express his feelings about things I've done or you know, however he has felt about 
you know, my drug history and my treatment and all these things. I know I've let him know that, you know, he has a right to feel any feelings that he feels about it and that if he wants to express them, I'm here for it. Um, so that relationship is fantastic compared to where it was before. Uh, people trust me today. My mm-hmm. family trusts me today. Uh, I'm the go-to now, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I am capable of having a healthy relationship with my fiance. Isn't that amazing? Man, I've never, like ever in my life, I didn't think it was possible to be in a relationship where you don't fight, right. you don't cuss at each other, you don't scream at each other, you don't accuse each other of shit you didn't do. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought that that was even a possibility. I thought it was normal and healthy to fight like that, actually. Yeah. Um, and today I don't because I am in a the best relationship. I can't even imagine being with anybody else. Yeah. I own a house, dude. Like, I know. That's, what? that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Like, I screwed up my credit so bad in, <laughs> in addiction. Whenever I first got out of treatment, my credit score was 511, and I was able to buy a car with it, but my uh, uh, interest rate was like 25%. Yeah. So, anyway, I bought a house, and I work in recovery. I get to help people. Just all the things, man, all the things. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself through this process? <laughs> I've learned that I can be annoying. (laughs) I've learned that um, I'm a lot more self-centered than I knew I was. And actually, the funny thing about that is I've learned that more like a little bit later in my recovery than I think even in the the beginning of my recovery. Uh, I was so stuck in self-pity in the beginning of my recovery that, you know, obviously that's self-centeredness, but I didn't know that at the time. It was just all self-pity to me. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to try to work against my uh, self-centeredness. I've learned... Sometimes uh, I can be too trusting. I can be too, I don't want to say understanding because I think understanding is good, but sometimes I let things slide too much because I'm so empathetic. I've learned a lot about myself, man. I've learned that my self-worth was shit. I've learned what self-worth is, man. I didn't even know what that was before. You know what I mean? I'm a lot more confident and I've learned that I wasn't that before. I've learned that I don't, need my I've learned that I don't need other people in order to like get by in life you know what I mean I don't need to depend on anybody which is huge because my whole life my whole family super codependent yeah so that's real huge that I don't have to do that today you're you're a strong independent woman it's crazy yeah you you (laughs) are and I've watched you grow in recovery you know and I've seen you on your journey and you're very you're strong and you're human which I have to be reminded of that sometimes mm-hmm. because I get really down and hard on myself and I tear myself down. But I think that um, I know that you and I kind of work the same type of program. And I think that people that work those 12 steps and like work them thoroughly mm-hmm. and mean it, I think that we have a lot. I don't want to say like we have a lot more self or self awareness than other people, but I kind of do, you know, so when we mess up, I think we're really hard on ourselves. Yeah. And so that is something huge that I've learned, like in the past few years of my recovery, is that I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes no matter how self-aware I am. You know, it's just the fact of working really hard to like fix those things about myself because I'm never going to be perfect and my character defects are always going to come up, you know, so it's just being aware of that and giving myself a break sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's important. I know. Of course, even though we work through all that past stuff, mm-hmm. we still have some residual guilt and shame. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's it's still there. It's not. It doesn't keep me stuck. It doesn't make me act out. But it's still there sometimes. Right. Just along with the hurt. Yeah. You know, along with hurt from mm-hmm. 
people that we love, maybe they did something to, not even to us necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, we felt tr- like we were treated wrong. Yeah. And sometimes that still does hurt, even though we've worked through that stuff. But it comes up still, for me at least sometimes, yeah. it still comes up. It does. I think it's just important, like you said, to remember that you're human. We got to accept ourselves where we are before we can work on the things we want to work on. Right. What would you say to someone who is still struggling in the madness or someone in early recovery? First of all, if I can do it, anybody can. (laughs) I try really hard with my clients who are in early recovery, um, people who come in new to the meetings I attend. Again, don't be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it's it's not, you can't, you're not going to tell me anything that's going to make me feel any type of bad way about you because we all did what we had to do. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And you are capable of getting to a point where you can forgive yourself. You're capable of getting to a point where you don't have to depend on other people. Uh, you're Kate, you're, you are stronger than you think and you are worth it, man. Uh, I didn't think I was in the beginning, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I was, I didn't think that anybody else thought I was. And that's why I didn't think I was. So I would just say, you know, just you just have to get in there and you just have to stay in there. Sit there. You got to sit on your hands and hurt. Follow suggestions. Stick with it. Don't leave before the miracle happens. You know, don't let the toughness of early recovery discourage you because it does get better as Mm -hmm. long as you really put the work in. You just have to put the work in. Yeah, you have to. Early recovery is hard. It's. It's, it's a lot, and I would never, I don't want to go through it again. No, man. Which is, some days, that's the one thing that keeps me from relapsing, you know, on a bad day. Absolutely. Remembering those days where I was just sitting there hating myself, in pain, wanting to run, but it was just frozen. And I needed that. I needed that experience. Right, and, you know, just, I think when you get to the point where you start to work past some of those, you know, some of that, some of those resentments, some of that guilt, mm-hmm. some of those things, you start to like see a light. Yeah. Just know, man, that once you work through most of that stuff, there's always going to be something more that you need to work through, but it gets easier to like work through it and face it. Mm-hmm. It gets easier to look in the mirror. When you are able to face those things, you're able to face yourself Ooh, a lot easier. I like that. And it makes you stronger and more confident. Yeah. That's what gave me self-worth mm-hmm. is being able to work through that stuff, man. Yeah. Just realizing, you know what? I'm capable of doing this. Yeah. I can do this shit. Yeah. And that's tough. Like, that's hard. You yeah, know it mean? is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gangster. <laughs> gangster. <laughs> gangster. Any last words, <laughs> inspiration? or If you're new, if you're new to this... Don't take the words that you hear on this podcast lightly. Don't ignore the suggestions you hear from people who have been in recovery and worked through some stuff. Like, it's real shit. We're not just blowing smoke, you know what I mean? Like, I was that junkie that wasn't stuck in the bathroom for hours while your son was beating on the door because I couldn't hit a vein. I was that chick that was hooking up with somebody behind a dumpster because he was going to give me, you know, one shot, of, like one shot of dope yeah. and maybe a couple of cigarettes. Like I was that person and I'm here today. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just don't think that you're too far gone and don't 
take the the stuff that you're hearing and things like this for or you know for granted or lightly because it's real shit we're real people who mm-hmm. went through the shit yeah you are not going to tell me anything that's going to make me you know look down on you or judge you because i've done my own dirt man yeah. i really have and if i haven't done something that's as bad as what you think you've done trust me i've had sponsees clients who have probably done that or worse yeah you know, so just hang in there, man. Take it seriously. Do it. You can do it. It's possible. And I just think it's inspiring. I know how hard you work to help others just like us. Well, thank you. That line of work is hard. It's a tough, it's a tough gig. Man. Yeah. It can be but, tough. Yeah. I can't it's do it very anymore. very <laughs> rewarding. There are a lot of really good days, but there are some really tough days, mm-hmm. you know? It is. It's a lot and it takes a lot out of you, but that's how passionate you are about about this about recovery and about helping others and i think unless you've been through it right you don't you 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 don't have that passion you don't have that love i just want people to know man that you know if you're still here if you're still breathing then there's hope and religious or not if you're still here and you're given a chance at this then god put you there for a reason take that chance man yeah it's never too dark and you've never gone too far there's always a way out And I didn't believe that in the beginning. It truly is. It's a miracle. We're all miracles. Absolutely. It's not meant to be like this. We're not meant to be sick. Like, and I can tell you that I was sick far before I was strung out on drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned a lot of things are learned. And I think with my family being so codependent that I learned to be codependent on other people's opinions and judgments of me. There's a way out, guys. That's all. I'm really glad you were here today. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate your honesty and just being able to like share your experience, strength and hope and not hold back because people need that honesty. Absolutely. And I appreciate you having me here. I'm glad to be here. It was fun. Yeah. I'm glad you were here. Thanks, Brandy, so much for sharing your experience, strength and hope. It's nice to hear these stories from other people because we have to remember that we are not alone. Yes, it was truly powerful. So join us for our next episode where we're going to discuss steps four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, and step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, which sounds scary AF. But this is the part where you start digging in and figuring stuff out. So it's very beautiful, and I can't wait for you guys to be present for this one. So we really want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories of inspiration or just some funny stories from the madness, whatever you got. So email us at recoverymicdrop at gmail.com. And if you would like to, come join us on our Facebook page at Recovery Mic Drop. And if you found this episode valuable, please rate the podcast. It helps us reach other people just like us so we can instill some inspiration and hope. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.